0: Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. Um, I'll just uh, open briefly when Nick called me on the phone and uh, said, hey, would you uh, consider preaching at uh, Mercy Hill one Sunday? And uh, I said, yeah, I'll definitely pray about it. And, uh, and I knew that uh, ultimately that call came from God. That I know that Nick and the elders had prayed about it and discussed it. You know, who can we maybe get up here to, to preach one Sunday? And, uh, and I appreciate that. But I believe in God's sovereignty, that uh, He ordains all things. And uh, the fact that Paul Walton is up here this morning preaching, it's not because of anything in me that's great or wonderful but because of his mercy. And I just want to share just briefly, um, what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, as we were praying in the back room this morning and, uh, you know, I was just overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy. Uh, I just turned 60 last week and we as a family went up to Lake Tahoe and, uh, you know, it was all gathering around, celebrating, you know, 60 years of life. And, you know, as tends to happen during those kind of times, as stories start coming out about, you know, what was going on as you're growing up. And as the story started rolling out, you know, uh, my brother-in-law Craig's here this morning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been through a lot together. Uh, we've rolled in a car together. We've been shot at by guns together. Just a myriad of you know things that have happened, and, uh, and I was thinking, you know, it's all God's grace that that well, I'm not even alive. It really is. I mean, I'm not trying to belabor the point of His mercy and His grace, but Paul speaks about it in Romans nine about us being vessels of mercy. That. Uh, that's exactly what I am, because I was a prodigal son. I mean, I was running from God. I mean, I knew of His goodness and His grace. At, a, I don't know, my late teens, I went forward at a, at a meeting. But, uh, you know, I kind of did that, like, fire insurance type thing. It's like, okay, uh, I don't want to go to hell, so, I th- yeah, I'll go forward. But, you know, my heart really wasn't shattered uh by His grace at that point. It was more of a fact that, you know, yeah, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to go forward at this meeting. And uh, But He, uh, in His mercy and His grace, He didn't allow me to, to go all the way to the point where He could not reach me anymore. And that's His mercy and His grace. And, and I just want to give Him the thanks for that this morning because without... Him sacrificing His Son on the cross, like it says in uh, um, Ephesians 1, four, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, is that God always intended for me to be God's Son and to be Christ's brother for eternity. And uh, I ran from that. <laughs> It's hard to imagine to know that and to and to run from it, but uh, I'll be honest. I was angry at God because when I was seven years old, uh, my father died on a construction site. I was raised in a Catholic Church and, and I believed in God and I knew that God was powerful and could do all things and He surely could have saved my father from dying that day, and uh, so I had a lot of anger at God and. Uh, I just saw him as this authority figure that, if you messed up, all he did was, he was going to come down hard on you and crash hard on you and uh, you know in this religion that I was brought up in is that uh, you get a black part of your heart, and every time you sin, it gets darker and darker and I thought, you know well what 's the use because i can 't be good i mean i've i 'm a sinner i uh, i 'm good at sinning. <laughs> I did it for a lot of years, and, uh, you know, but for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here this morning. And I'm thankful for that. So uh, I thought, you know, since they're going to ask me to preach, I'm going to swing for the fences this morning. And uh, the title of my message is What is the Meaning of Life? So, here we go. <laughs> I would argue, first I'm going to give a little more introduction, then I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to pray, just so you know. I would argue that this question is the most commonly asked and perhaps the most difficult question to give a satisfying answer to. But I'm going to endeavor to try. So, if we desire to discover the answer to this old, age-old question, where are we going to look? We're going to, Look to the scholars, philosophy, how about to science? Well, I'm going to submit that the answer lies right here in God's Word. And uh, what happened is one day I was reading God's Word, and a certain verse jumped out from an aspect of Paul's prayer in Ephesians, and uh, it really dawned on me, it's like, this really is the meaning of life. And it's Ephesians uh, 3.19. I'm going to read the section before I get to 3.19. But the, Paul, uh, the prayer of Paul is in Ephesians uh, 3. And it's in page 977. If you want a Bible, you guys will give you one. If you want to follow along. <clears throat> And Paul is uh, praying this prayer for the Ephesians because he wants them to be built up in their faith. Uh, You know, it's amazing to me that, you know, as Paul's written most of this New Testament, he's chained to a Roman soldier. Here he is under house arrest, you know, being persecuted, and he's worrying about encouraging other people. I thought, you know... (laughs) Here I am, I, I get discouraged when you know I hit a traffic jam. And I'm not thinking about encouraging uh, anybody else around me. It's about all about Paul, this Paul. So anyway, hopefully you're there. Page 977. And I start reading. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. And here's the verse that got me. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking you now to come by your Spirit. Lord, that uh, you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would uh, remove the hostility in anyone's mind that that they have against you, Lord, that you would... um, pour into us, Lord, Your truth. Lord, my desire this morning is that Your Son would be glorified in everything that is set up here, Lord. Um, I don't want the spotlight to be on me at all. I want to herald the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. And I ask, Father, that You do that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now there's so much in this prayer that Paul desires that as Ephesian readers and for us to know that it might have gone right by us. So regrettably, I we don't have enough time to unpack all that Paul is praying for them in this short time together. But I want to focus on verse 19 because one thing that really jumped off the page at me at first is that he's praying that they will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's saying, I want you to know something that can't be known. <laughs> that's, it's pretty, pretty amazing, right? That he wants us to know something that can't be known. I mean, what's that mean? And, uh, so as I, you know, as I was reading Ephesians, the whole book over and over again, um, now I went back one page to, uh, to uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through 3. And I think this kind of explains the uh, surpassing knowledge that uh, our minds are hostile towards God. And here we go. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passage of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So now we want to look at another thing that might prevent us from knowing this knowing that that Pauls praying that we would understand that uh, that that prevents us from from uh, knowing this and it's um 1 Corinthians 2nd chapter 14 that's on page 953 if you want to turn there there's another Explanation of why we don't understand, we don't comprehend the love of Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, Paul's saying that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And... Uh, I looked up dead in the Hebrew, in, in, in the Greek, and it means dead. <laughs> it's like our hearts spiritually are just dead to any truth of God. We reject Him. We've gone our own way. And it says there that all of us have done that. Sin blinds us to the reality of Christ's love, and we're not able to discern, as the text say, by human knowledge in itself. And I'd like to go to one other passage that really kind of uh, drives it home. And it's uh, Romans. It's on page 939. And it's Romans one, twenty-one. And this is about... Paul is speaking about all of us at this point. For all though they knew God... They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's saying we all know God. We all know there's a God, but we don't honor Him as God. When we're unregenerate, before God does a work in our heart, we don't want to honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So we become futile in our thinking. It's going back. To like He wants us to understand. He wants us to know this thing that can't be known. And, uh, and even driving home a little bit further, as you go down to verse 28, he goes on to say, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And what he's saying is that we don't even want the thought of God in our mind. When we're... Opposed to God. We don't he hasn't done that work in our heart yet. Is that we don't even want to think about God. We're hostile torment towards him. Well, some of them might say, Well, I'm not hostile towards God. I never even think of God. Well, isn't that what he's saying right there? They didn't see fit to even acknowledge his existence. We don't want God in our thoughts. I want anything else in my thought. I want football, I want money, I want pleasure, I want comfort. I don't want God in my mind because that means I have to think about I might be accountable for my life someday. So I hope you're beginning to appreciate why Paul is praying that we receive this that surpasses knowledge because in our own ability, we're not going not to grasp it. So if what we need to know which is to be filled with the fullness of God, and it isn't discernible by the natural man. What can we do? It's like a dilemma. There's this truth. I can't understand it because I don't know God. I don't trust God. So what do we do? Are we left hanging? Well, not exactly. God's got a plan. But we're going to remain in, a book, in the book of Ephesians to look at this. We're going to go back one page to chapter 2.16. And Christ, and well Christ isn't in there, but it's implying it. And might reconcile us both, and he's talking about Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the, host, the hostility. God's made a way to kill the hostility that we have towards God. The answer for both the Jewish person and the Gentile person is to look to the cross for our answer of what to do to know about this love of Christ that surpasses human knowledge. All the human race, apart from God's grace, opening our hearts, is hostile towards towards God, both the Jew and the Gentile alike. Now, if you have any doubts about the hostility of God, or the hostility of us towards God, you know, go to one other place, Romans 3. It's on page 941, verses 10 to 12. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless No one does good, not even one. Now, that paints a pretty dark picture of us, but it's an accurate one. So even though our minds are hostile towards God and our hearts are hardened towards Him, we are not without hope because God has made a provision for us all. He has sent His Son to free the captives. Perhaps the most widely known verse to all of us is John 3.16 along with verse 17. And I want to shed some light on that hope. It's on page 888. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We are all hostile towards God. We've all had our back towards Him. But the good news is, (laughs) He's not hostile towards us. He's got His arms open towards us. He desires relationship with us. Now we're going to return back to Ephesians 3.19 and take a look at the second part of the verse. Because Paul... Not only wants us to know something, he wants us to experience something. He wants us to have something. He wants us to be filled. And I would argue that every human being desires to be filled with happiness, with joy. And along with it, a sense of purpose and meaning. We all thirst for these things. We all strive for these things one way or another. Um, great mathematician, uh, Middle Ages, Blase Pascal, has a quote, and I thought it was really fitting. It, uh, really, I think he grabs or he grasps what's at the heart of each and every one of us. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end, the cause of some going to war and to others avoiding it. It is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will, man's will, never takes the least step but to this objective. This is a motive for every action of man, even those who hang themselves. I tend to agree with Pascal that we all seek happiness in some manner of of this life. It's the reason that young lovers get married, the reason we strive for riches, and when the multitudes of all these different treasures, earthly treasures that we strive for, well, they're going to turn to rust, and they're going to turn to dust, and they're going to be gone. But Paul wants us to have something of infinite value and eternal worth. He wants us to be filled with something. Now, reading the last part of the verse, he describes the fullness of God. And um, I really wish I had uh, taken more time to really get into this fullness of God, but... uh, I'm going to go with what I have here because I don't have any other choice. But he, uh, the language that he uses, it really implies uh, that it's a work to understand this fullness of God. If you go back just one verse to the verse above 19, he prays that may we have strength to comprehend. With all the saints, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth? He's saying it takes take strength to comprehend this; is that it, it it takes takes energy to put to put into energy to, to to comprehend this. The fullness of God is dimensional. It has breadth. It has length. It has height. It has depth. Paul's uses this term, and it should should raise a question. Why does it? Why does the comprehension of God's fullness require all this strength? Again, He knows that we're limited in our understanding. Is it is that we still have this indwelling sin? Even though we're trusting Christ, we still have indwelling sin. We still have this fallen world that we're living in. Now, working our way back one other verse to 17. Again, we'll see this language so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. The love of Christ being rooted and grounded in our hearts requires faith. The language that Paul is using here in these verses musters up an image of labor, the strength to comprehend, being rooted and grounded. Let's go back one other verse, to verse 16. Again, we see an action word being used. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. This prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesians and for for those of us who will be reading this even 2,000 years later, is sprinkled with terminology that Induces the concept of laboring spiritually. Faith is a never-ending exercise, a constant working out of our faith. A journey of a thousand miles begins like any other journey with the first step. So, what is that first step? How do we get there? Well, let's we're going to stay in Ephesians. Going to go back, we're going to go forward to. Uh, Chapter 4, 22, it's page 978. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He's saying you need to put off that old man. It's corrupt. It won't lead you to the path of life which is another way of saying what Romans 6.6 6 tells us, is page 942. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. My favorite, which was Steve Fuller's favorite, Galatians 2.20. Paul uses uh, great terminology here. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ." Means he sees himself on the cross with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. <laughs> That's what, what's required is death. Perhaps you can see in John three sixteen, at the last part of this verse, the, analogy, the two kind of conjoined is that Galatians it says who loved me and gave himself for me, John three sixteen, so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's the giving. God gave his son. And another final example of this is on page 822, Matthew sixteen twenty-four, talking about this, this crucifying ourselves, that Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This journey begins with our death to this world. Paul and Christ both tell us that we can take nothing with us on this journey. We must pass from what appears to be life to death when in fact it's the other way around because we're passing from death to life. I think that's the part that... uh, that's had me running from God for so many years is that uh, I wanted to hold on to so many things in this world that I was trusted for my happiness and my joy. And I knew that I couldn't take anything with me. That if I was going to take this journey with Christ, I had to leave that. I had to come with my hands empty because I had to pick up a cross. And that's that's a scary thought, right? It's like man, I I can't take any I can't pack anything. I can't take anything with me on this journey to follow you, Christ. And Christ said if you, you put your hands to the plow and you're going to follow me, you look back, you're in trouble. You can't look back. And I, there's no way of sugarcoating this. <laughs> If you're you going to follow Christ, it requires a death to this world. And everything inside of us thinks, man, I don't want to die to this world. This is, this is what I know. This is everything I've, I've lived for and trusted in. But that's our, our, we're blinded by sin to see the truth. of What we're leaving is death. That <laughs> We're not going to find life in all this stuff. We're going to find life in Him, but you got to leave it all behind. And on this side, in the land of the dying, which we think we're living, we cannot know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We must pass over to the kingdom of everlasting life where we will find all the fullness of God that will fill and meet every heartfelt need that we desire to be satisfied. Desires, these desires we have, these heart thirsts that we have, in themselves are not sinful in nature. We all have them. But it's what we choose to fill these desires and thirsts with is where we often fall short of the glory of God. Now, this isn't in my notes, but I was thinking about this this, this morning. That young people, we have, when I was young, and I, I do remember when I was young, <laughs> we have this desire, this desire for a physical relationship with the opposite sex. And it's a good thing. That's a good thing. God, that's a God-given thing. I mean, when Adam was looking at all the the species on earth, they all had a mate. And he realized he didn't have a mate. And God even looked down and said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he gave him a woman. So young people, these desires that you have are good. It's a good thing to want to be married. It's a good thing to want to have a physical relationship and I would encourage you, if you have these desires, don't, don't think, oh, I'm evil because I want to have a physical relationship. No, no, find a spouse that loves Christ and loves you and start a family. That's why he gave us these desires. And that's just a little side note. That wasn't in there. <laughs> so we all thirst, and we all seek happiness like Pascal said. So, what's the answer? Well, Christ said this on the, It's found in John 7, 37, 38. He realized that, that we all have these thirst. And, and he's, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. Now, I came back from vacation, and I hadn't finished my message, and it was about Wednesday. <sighs> I sat down to finish this, and I was dry. I had I had nothing. <laughs> It's like, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. I mean, I've only got half of my message done. And, uh, and I saw that the Lord put me in that place. Is that It's like, I'm going to make you thirsty, Paul. I'm going to make you uh, work. <laughs> so I'm not even sure how to phrase this, but to drink this living water, it's a battle of faith sometimes, right? I mean, because many times our hearts are so dry, it's like, I don't know if you've ever worked in the dirt. You know, I don't know Jerry has. He's <laughs> using concrete, but if you ever hit that clay that's just been baking in the sun, and you try and dig it, it's—I mean—you can put water on it and it just runs right off of it. It doesn't soak in. That's how my heart was on Wednesday, as I was trying to finish up this this message, and, uh, and I thought, you know, it's like. The Lord is just really teaching me something here. So I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say, okay, Lord, help me. Help me to, to see you as living water because I'm not feeling it, Lord. And, and I think that's a part of this message is that also that there's a, a part that we don't know Christ because of uh, our own heart. It's. I mean, we're living in a fallen world. Let's let's be real. I mean, we see the tragedy and the, you know, the inhumanity and all the things going on in this world. And plus, the own our own indwelling sin, we're fighting. You know. What we're trusting in is like, man. Sometimes I'm start trusting in my checkbook. It's like, wow. It's like, I've been. This vacation was expensive. I hemorrhaged a lot of money, you know, so uh, oh, I better get some more money. And so I started focusing on, you know, oh yeah, okay, now it's bringing me comfort. Now I can finish my message. And I just realized like as much as I know about the truth of God's word, my own flesh betrays me. There's still indwelling sin is that it's a battle sometimes I', I just be upfront about it. it's a battle to trust Christ to be my source you know but he's never failed even at my driest time when all I can just I was doing it Wednesday night I just cried out Lord help me help me Lord I'm dry right now. I need your help help me to to give the words that, that you want me to say. And, uh, you know, I can't say it was immediate, but by Thursday and into Friday, that dryness was gone. I really felt the love of Christ. It was tangible again. So I'm, I was thinking about that's why Paul is using these, these terms like 16, strengthen with power, 17, being rooted and grounded in love. Strengthen to comprehend, verse 18. And I think that's why, I, mean, I know this is why he finishes his prayer with these words, which is verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly, than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen and as i shared many times i've come to god lacking the words and it ever happens to you like it's like some mornings i sit down and i start to pray and i have my prayer list and next thing i know i'm thinking about okay what i got to pick up before i get to the job or what i got to get at home depot or kelly Moore and Oh man, if I don't get on the free and it's like I don't even, I'm not even praying anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, I come back to my prayer list and then start thinking about something or the cat jumps up on the bed or you know, it's like it's hard to focus sometimes as trusting Christ. I mean, it's a battle. It is a battle. That's why um I know I'm, it's all his mercy because if it relied solely on me and my ability, um, I'd be in trouble because uh, I'm constantly... And I remember this from uh home group when we were in Steve and Jan's home group. Steve was talking about, you know, how we, we need to be filled with Christ because... Uh, the, this world just drains us. And I remember Jan saying, she goes, I need to be filled because my heart leaks. <laughs> it's always leaking out. All this joy, all this peace is always leaking out of my heart. We are vessels of God's mercy, and we're vessels that tend to leak, which is why we need to be filled with all the fullness of God constantly. And it's by grace, Ephesians 3.8, which is up just a few from the verses we're reading. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God in His abundant grace has made known that which can't be known by mere human knowledge alone. He overcomes our limited understanding by removing the skills from our eyes and the hardness of our heart by grace, this grace that Paul's talking about. Now, if there's a sliver of a sliver of faith that wants to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, I would just implore you this morning to come forward as as, going to have Nick's going to come up and uh, do one more song or two and after that we're going to have people to the side that, that if you want to talk to me or to Nick or anyone else about this say you know I, I understand it you know it requires me leaving everything behind not can't take anything with me and and I'm struggling with that you know I need I need prayer with that we'd love to pray with you so I'm going to close up with prayer and have Nick come forward. <clears throat> Lord, I just uh, am humbled by Your grace, Lord. And, uh, I realize I'm a vessel of mercy, Lord, that, uh, that You chose me, that You began this good work in me. That You are gracious, You are merciful, You are loving. You desire, Lord, for us to be filled with all Your fullness. And I know that there's nothing more that I can say or do to change anyone's mind or to open anyone's heart. It's only by Your Spirit. So I'm praying that right now, Lord, that by Your Spirit, You would crack open hard hearts, Lord that you remove the scales from people's eyes that you would open our our hearts and our minds to your truth lord that they would see the gift of your son as a great gift lord as a love that surpasses knowledge lord do a mighty work this morning lord for the glory of your son and for the glory of your name and i ask this in jesus name amen